0: was that your very subtle way of bragging that over a fifth of the student population was in your band?
1: Well, you're usually right, so that works out. Those are today's guests. Us. Welcome to Music Ed Insights. I'm Alan Fire, here with Steve Shanley.
0: Usually, each episode, Alan and I talk with national thought leaders in music education with practical insights for K-12 music educators.
1: But today, Steve and I look back at our first 10 episodes and share some observations.
0: Let's get to our conversation. We got 10 episodes in, Steve. Gotta be honest, I wasn't sure if we would uh, make it that far.
1: I'm glad you talked me out of doing it weekly. I'll say that.
0: And I will say, I am glad you talked me out of doing it monthly.
1: Well, there we go. We we kind of we found a sweet spot and we do have some listeners. So if you're a listener, thank you for listening.
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird to just talk into the microphone and wonder if anybody ever listens. And so every once in a while when someone does,
1: yeah, it feels good. Well, we've had some very interesting guests. I want to give you some credit, Steve, because you have done most of the sourcing of guests. Um, one or two of them have been suggestions from listeners, but you've just really assembled a diverse and interesting group of human beings who have been interesting, but also surprising. We've had people who we wanted to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they brought other topics into the conversation. You know, there were guests that we invited to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we learned some stuff about classroom management and lesson planning. And there were guests that we brought on to talk about the role of competition, and they ended up talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I've been surprised at how other topics drifted in
0: it's funny how in this podcast or my life i'm not drawn to band people or choir people or non-competitive people or competitive people i am drawn towards interesting people Mm. and so when i started seeking out guests I was trying to check a bunch of boxes in terms of the content where they maybe had an area of expertise. But the one thing they all had in common is I found them interesting. And I think as, as we continue booking guests, that's really what I'm going to be most concerned about. Maybe not necessarily that we have, okay, let's get general music covered. Let's get that and let's just find some interesting people and let them be interesting. And what can we learn from that?
1: And how do you find them? Uh, How have you been able to do that.
0: Well, some listeners' suggestions have been helpful.
1: Oftentimes,
0: I'm starting from a standpoint of what do we want to learn more about? So maybe we want to learn more about what we can do from a diversity and programming standpoint in the orchestra classroom. So I'm looking for nationwide experts on that, who is an orchestra director, who is widely recognized as doing some extra or different things that we maybe aren't seeing in all of the classroom. Classrooms And then going from there. So that's part of it. And sometimes just to be selfish, I pick people that I just think it would be fun to have conversation
1: with as well. Yeah, well, you're usually right. So that works out. I've had to confront some long held thoughts about music literacy as I've noticed a pattern with our guests when it comes to the Western centric getting it just right. The perfectionism, I, I remember a conversation about competitive jazz band in Iowa, how everybody does the same three tunes, and uh, the, 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 it was a guy named uh, Earl Dickinson. Some of our listeners will know that name. He said it gets tweaked down so tightly it hurts, but that's what we do and I just remember in my nineteen years of, of teaching full time, getting things just right was important, and we've had a lot of guests who have talked about how unimportant perfectionism is, how success doesn't look like that for everybody and maybe shouldn't. What do you think? Yeah, I think I noticed the same
0: thing. For me, it maybe wasn't, I wouldn't call it perfectionism, but I think we are both noticing the same thing. For me, it's more, let's redefine what the end product needs to look like. So whether it's Lee Nelson talking about choral tone quality or Alice Hamill talking about band tone quality, it was students with special needs in your, in your group. The idea is there are lots of ways that a successful music program can look or can sound. And I think for a lot of us growing up, we see things and hear things a certain way, and we're told that certain things are the standard, the gold standard that we need to aspire to. And I think, call it perfectionism, but for me, it's it's maybe even a bigger issue of defining what that Needs to look like or, you know, that's when when you're talking about perfectionism, that is still assuming that there is this standard of what a concert band should sound like and that we don't need to be perfect. And for me, what I'm taking away from it is. No, it isn't even a matter of it. It doesn't need to sound like that. And it's okay if it's not perfect. What I'm gathering talking from some guests is maybe listening to a concert band where there are some students with special needs in there. And it has a sound that you and I aren't used to. That might be perfect to Alice Hamill's ears. It's just maybe not perfect to our ears because of what we have been told a concert band is supposed to sound like. So I think we're talking about the same thing, but maybe just using different labels.
1: This idea of, of music making, musicking, the process of making music while it's happening and experiencing it in the moment doesn't require getting everything exactly right, whether it's tone quality or notes and rhythms, but it is moving towards something That everybody involved, not just the audience, if there is an audience, but also the performers listening to each other and performing with each other, that that has value. We won't remember that Bridget counted the fourth measure wrong. We'll remember that making music with Bridget was an uplifting and important experience.
0: I think especially when we're talking about issues of tone quality, for me, that's something I keep coming back to that for most of my career, there was an acceptable tone quality for a trumpet that was universally agreed upon as that's good. And I think in talking to some of our guests, I'm coming around to realize there are trumpet players who played in Duke Ellington's band who would not make Iowa Allstate because their tone quality is not okay Mm -hmm. uh, by, by a certain standard. So Yeah, I think there are some things where the rhythm was either interpreted correctly or it wasn't. The pitches were interpreted correctly or they weren't. Where maybe we can ascribe a perfectionist viewpoint and it's not up for debate. But then there are so many other parts of music where for years what I have held up to as being right is just a difference of opinion. Yeah. And varies from culture to culture.
1: Oh, the cultural context. That's another theme. A cultural context for the music. And uh, Dr. Lee Nelson talking about showing respect to where the culture comes from. Uh, Karen Howard talking about knowing, making sure that everybody performing the music knows where that music came from and knows a thing or two, not only about the person who wrote it, but what the world was like that they were living in. It's not just that that checks a, a curriculum director's interdisciplinary box. Cause they, you know, they dig that and that's, that's good. I believe in that, but, but it deepens the understanding of whatever it is that we're doing and the use of technology. I think a lot of our guests lifted up the value of using technology to just find videos of original performances in the countries, in the cultures, not necessarily to emulate, but to, uh, but to see that there's just not one, not just one way to do it. I think if, if any of my viewpoints have been solidified,
0: Over the last 10 episodes, it's that the best music teaching that I think is probably going on right now in our country is still the general music teachers and the the elementary teachers, the non-performance based music teachers, I think would listen to so many of our guests and listen to me and you, who we have come from a secondary performance ensemble setting, and they would say, Well, yeah. And Karen Howard even said, yeah, that's we've been doing world music for years. You know, the, the secondary ensembles are just finally catching up to that. So my guess would be that we might have some listeners who are primarily general music teachers who have not had so many aha moments from, you know, from episode to episode. And it's not saying that there's anything bad or wrong about people like me or you, secondary music teachers. But again, it goes back to this expectations. And we talked about this with Dina last week, the expectations we put on ourselves as teachers, and then maybe what the what the students expect. And so if you're in a general music classroom setting, and the only performance expectation is that you maybe put on a program with your second graders, and maybe you don't even have to do that, but you aren't taking them to a festival where they're going to be compared or rated or ranked. And also... When we go watch a band concert or an orchestra concert, we have something in our head. Even if we don't have that background, we know what that is supposed to sound like and look like. We have heard the Boston Pops on on TV, and so we know what an orchestra is supposed to sound like. So even if I don't have a background at all as an audience member, as a music educator, I come to an orchestra concert, I kind of know what it's supposed to sound like and look like. Whereas I feel like our elementary and general music teachers, they have a great freedom to say, yep, we're going to explore this kind of music. Now we're going to talk about that kind of music without the performance expectations hanging over their head that need to look a certain way. Does that
1: make any sense? Oh, 100%. Some of the best music teaching that's happening right now in our country is happening in the elementary classroom. I'm I'm seizing on, on how you open those thoughts. I think that's true. I, I went through a phase, my first teaching job, it wasn't uh, we went to festivals, but there was not a lot of pressure to perform or get high ratings of contests that really wasn't a part of the tradition. So I took a year and I kind of treated band like general music. I'd have a jazz day and a theory day and a game day. And a, here's a, some popular music you may not have heard day and did, did a lot of that stuff. And, and uh, shortly after that, I thought, oh Alan, that was so lazy that you were doing that. You just did that because it was fun and it engaged the kids. And now I look back on that and I'm like, huh, what if directors of high achieving performance ensembles with a lot of pressure to do great things would take up a, a year or a part of a year and treat band or choir or orchestra more like general music, which I think some of our, our, our string educator guests talked about to a certain extent. How do you sell that? How do you sell
0: that to your students in your community that I know this is what band has looked like to you for the last 50 years? How do you sell that to the students who say, look, I just want to show up and play my clarinet. I like being in band and playing my clarinet. I don't want to do West African drumming. I don't want to watch YouTube videos about the music of Southeast Asia. How do you do a wholesale change like that? Because you and I have both seen it. People we respect as educators are trying this. They're trying elements of it, and they get a lot of pushback. They either get pushback from their community Mm -hmm. or among their peers, their efforts are not viewed favorably. Well, you're doing that because you don't know how to make your band sound good.
1: Right, but not their students as much. I'm not sure you need to sell it on the students quite quite as much because they'll still get to play their clarinet, but they'll do some other things. When we were talking, it was Dina Els, when we were talking to Dina, about competition and who really wants to do all that competitive stuff. Students do like it. They do enjoy it and, and groove on it, but they will do fine without it. That was something that came up more than once. Our first guest was, was Matt Temple our first episode that we released? Yes. Yeah, which was very much about how to achieve great things in a, in a non-competitive environment or traditionally non-competitive environment. You know, I sort of thought that as we talked about competition with a few of our guests, I know it came up with him, it came up with Lee Nelson. We did a lot with Dina Ellis last week. I kept thinking we would come back to either competition is the be all end all, and that's what promotes excellence, and we need to do that, and that's what happens in life, or we would have a competition as the boogeyman, it's the it's the downfall of everything. And we didn't really have that. It was we didn't have either one of those. It was a lot more nuanced than that. That competition has a role; it has a place, and it can become a monster that we can't let uh, take take things over.
0: I had an aha moment this weekend. I was at an honor band, and they were playing some pieces that I had written, and so all of the kids had had some questions for me. It was Q and A with the composer. Cool. And in the process of talking about that, I said to the kids. Uh, because someone, one of their questions was something along the lines of, you know, when did you realize you had a talent for music or, or something, something like that? And I read the question. They had written it down and I, and I read it out loud and I said, how many of you, when you tell your grandma or grandpa or someone that you're playing in band, they say, Oh, I wish I had musical talent. That's so great. And they all raise their hand. They all have talked to, to people who say, Oh, I don't have any musical talent. And I said, I don't believe in that. I I think I used to. But so much of what we do in band is a very, very, very narrow view to me of what music can look like and what music is. And I said, you remember how one of the earlier questions, someone asked what my first memories of music were, and I talked about listening to music with my dad. Do you remember that? And they all raised their hand. And I said, I think that my dad is one of the best musicians that I know. And he doesn't play the piano or the guitar and he does not match pitch particularly well when he sings, but he loves listening to music so much. And then I was thinking back to to Karen's episode where she's talking about musicking and I asked her to kind of help us understand the difference between the Elliot and the small version of that term. And she did. And it was one of those where six months later, I finally made the connection on the spot talking to all of these children where I realized, yeah, Christopher Small would say that my dad's an awesome musician, even though by our standards, he doesn't play any instruments or sing. But he loves going to concerts. He goes to all the concerts he can. He loves all different kinds of music. And Christopher Small would say that's musicking right there. It's the whole process of it. And I'm not sure that if we wouldn't have had that conversation, and I've read the Christopher Small books and and had to learn about him in grad school, but I'm not sure if we wouldn't have had that conversation with her if that wouldn't have just clicked for me in that moment where I had that realization for the first time ever this past Saturday, my dad's a great musician. And then that also got me thinking about what we do as music teachers. There was nothing as a part of his music experience growing up in the schools that nurtured that that was all just listening to the radio and doing it on his own so then i'm thinking what do we need to be doing for the people who love music because frankly don't we all love music how do we nurture that for the people who don't want to memorize their chromatic scale on the clarinet or learn how to sing in french or learn how to do vibrato on the viola i'll admit i'm struggling with that like what do we do at the high school and collegiate level? for those people where musicing goes beyond just singing or playing an instrument.
1: Yeah. We've really built a system where it, it, it's a high entry point. If you decide as a sophomore in high school, Hey, I want to pick up the violin. We don't make it that easy for them. You know, we, well, you can play in the orchestra. Now you're going to have to do some catching up. So, um, it, it, and even the most progressive or, or student centered teachers will still say, I'll get you a mentor. I'll give you some extra lessons so we can get you caught up. And one of our guests, remind me who it was, talked about how there's an ethical, moral obligation that at the high school level, we have performance classes for students who want to play instruments, but haven't. That, that, that then they are beginners. And we just make a space just for them so they can try that out. And so, yeah, we get to practical
0: issues then of, That'd be great. Only so many periods in the day. Right. <laughs> is the district going to hire me another couple assistants to help with all of this? Like that, would, I would love to do that. But also, I'm expected to put on a concert in December that sounds pretty good. So I can't devote half of my day to these students who, yeah, it's, hey. I don't know what the answer is. But I do know that the current system is not serving everybody. No. That I'm pretty sure of. Yeah.
1: I don't know how to start that revolution necessarily. It does. It does make me miss the days in the classroom where I had some control, but then I wonder (laughs) if I were still a high school band teacher in a school with about 500 students and 120 students in the ensemble I direct, would I talk this tough? Would I do something that radical?
0: Was that your very subtle way of bragging that over a fifth of the student population was in your band? (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. I, I saw you. I saw you just pepper that statistic in there. <laughs>
1: I am proud of that,
0: I guess. Uh, you should be proud of that.
1: <laughs> well, and, and that brings me to, to this point. We're, we're great. You know, we're, we are smart human beings, Steve Shanley. Um, we know our stuff and and we've we've had some decent careers, but also true. We learn something from every episode and, and we've just shared over the last last few minutes here our minds have changed. We've had aha moments as middle-aged men that we wouldn't have had if it weren't for these interesting guests. And that's one reason I'm really glad we're doing this podcast. We've gotten some feedback from people that um, we're not alone in that. I agree. And to come back to your
0: opening remarks about perfectionism, I sort of disagreed at the beginning or I wanted to label it something different in terms of no, not perfectionism, just something different. We accept that there are different ways a product can look. Maybe the answer to beginning the revolution or giving the secondary ensemble teachers The freedom to explore some of these things is that, is to let go of that perfectionism. And when we accept that, okay, maybe it's not going to be what we are used to, but that's going to free up some time or some money or whatever to do something else. And because that that really, the fear of not being perfect enough, I think that's what keeps people doing things the same way
1: and prevents them from trying other things. Yeah. I'd love to know what our listeners think. I think uh, in the weeks and months to come, I think the next step for this podcast is to engage our our listening audience a little bit more in some of this stuff. I like that idea. We should workshop that. Let's talk about that sometime. That sounds good. Well, Alan Fire, thank you very much for joining us today. And Dr. Steve Shanley, it's a pleasure to have you here uh, here with us
0: today. Are you, are you ready for a lightning round? I am ready for a lightning <laughs> round. You got some questions for me? <laughs>
1: I don't right the top of my head. What should we do? What should we do for a lightning round? Uh, best place to eat. Favorite children's book you read to your kids.
0: Yeah, no one want. No one wants to hear our thoughts on that. Okay. All right. Maybe they do. We'll wait and see if they ask. Maybe maybe that's what we do. That's part of the soliciting of listener feedback is they send us some lightning round questions.
1: All right. I'm done with that
0: i think to to do it fairly they'll have to send that to uh, our assistant rachel so we don't know what the questions are in advance and then rachel can send me the questions for you okay and you the questions for me and then we can be we can be surprised that sounds good yeah all right we'll uh, we'll work all of that out You've been listening to Music Ed Insights. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating,
1: and reviewing it. We want to make this as thoughtful and practical as possible. Please send us your ideas for guests and suggestions for improvement. You can do that through our website, www.musicedinsights.com.
0: You can also reach us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via
1: Twitter, at Music Ed Insights. Our website is also the place to find program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's www.musiced insights.com this podcast
0: is sponsored and
1: supported by normal design winterset websites
0: group dynamic and the co-college music education program learn more about them at our website let us
1: know if your business or organization would like to join that list
0: new episodes drop every two weeks on monday mornings get current stay relevant music ed insights